Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook, Chapter 20. Jackson had prayed, more passionately than he had ever prayed for anything, that he would find his son alive. His prayer was, thankfully, answered. When he swerved in front of his house at a reckless speed in the patrol car, Jalil sat on the porch. His shotgun, which Jackson had given him last Christmas, lay across his lap. A blue Oldsmobile 98 was on the lawn. Jackson recalled that the car belonged to Jalil's buddy, the kid named T-Bone, the boy who had been attacked by monster mutts last night. Christ. Jackson parked in the driveway, jumped out of the car, and ran to his son. Are you okay, Jalil? Where the hell have you been? Why'd you leave the station after I told you? Jalil raised his hand with the weariness of an old man and waved it feebly. And that motion alone shut up Jackson. Something had happened, and it wasn't good. Hey, Dad, Jalil said. His voice was hoarse. His eyes were puffy, too. I'm all right. I haven't been anywhere, just here at the house. Jackson caught a whiff of a vile smell. It was the same stench that had steamed from the burned creature that used to be the deputy. In the corner of the yard, a large shape lay on the ground. The stink came from over there. What happened here? Jackson said. Jalil braced his hands behind his neck. Polk and I came to get some weapons before we went out to hunt those bloodsuckers. But the thing that used to be T-Bone drove up here to meet us. We had a fight. T-Bone bit Poke, I shot T-Bone, T-Bone almost got me, and then Poke set him on fire. Shock blew the air out of Jackson's lungs. Weak need, he plopped on the steps next to Jalil. He had planned to give his kid a no-holds-barred tongue lashing when he found him. Between praying for his boy's safety, he had rehearsed the mad words in his head as he drove to the house. Now, he couldn't remember what he was going to say he didn't give a damn. Cussing out the boy would be a fool's move. His son had lost his two best friends, and it didn't matter that Jackson had long believed that the boys were a bad influence on Jalil. None of that crap mattered anymore. Not in this terrifying new world they had been thrust into. I'm sorry, Jalil, Jackson said. Awkwardly, he put his arm around the boy's shoulders. He was surprised when Jalil didn't bristle. 
Jalil leaned against him, head lowered. Jalil trembled as he gave in the silent weeping. Jackson remembered the last time he had put his arm around his son. It was the night that Paulette passed. He had not touched Jalil since then, not with an embrace or even a handshake. Something seemed very wrong about that. He liked to blame their communication gap on Jalil's being rebellious and resentful of his authority. But maybe he had not been holding down his duty as a father, either. Well, I'm from a different generation of men, Jackson told himself. His own father had never hugged him after Jackson grew past the age of seven. Hell, his daddy hadn't liked to talk that much either. The things Jackson learned from his dad, he learned mostly from watching him. His father was the epitome of the strong, silent type, like a lot of older men Jackson knew. I remember the one time my dad told me he loved me. This is me, by the way, not not the book. One time, I am older than 39. I'm 41 years old. I remember the one time my dad told me he loved me. I was nine years old, and he had torn his Achilles tendon playing softball, which he loved more than damn near anything. Triple A ball. His team's name was Class Act. I remember all this bullshit because he dragged us to every fucking game and told us we couldn't go to the playground and play. We had to sit there and cheer for him. And this is the reason why I fucking hate baseball. He tore his Achilles playing Triple A softball. Fast pitch. And um, he was drugged up. When he got out the hospital, after the surgery, he was drugged up. And I told him I loved him, and he said, I love you too, Derek. And that was fucking it. That was the only time in my 41 years that I've ever heard my father say he loved me. And you know what? I tell my kids every fucking opportunity I get. Every fucking chance I get. The idea that your kids will get tired of hearing you say that you love them is a fucking fallacy. It'll never happen. It's like you getting tired of drinking water. Or you getting tired of seeking out substance. It will never happen. And I learned that my kids needed to hear my voice. They needed to hear me tell them that I love them because hearing it from their mom that, well, your dad loves you, you know that, right? Just doesn't fucking hit the same for some goddamn reason. I don't know why. Maybe it's because when I look at my dad, all I see in his eyes is resent and hate. And he feels like it's his. You know what I really fucking hate? I really fucking hate the idea of the strong, silent father. I really fucking hate. That's why I never watched Fences. The Denzel Washington movie. Before that, it was a James Earl Jones play. Never watched it. But there's that one scene where he's like, I don't have to like you. It is my job to take care of you. Know the What? What? Y'all need to let go of that. You need to love your kids. Love what you've made. Love the gift that they are. Help cultivate them into becoming forces in the world instead of treating them like they're just a hindrance or a problem or something that you regret. Oh, since I don't like your mom anymore, I can't like you. Every time I look at you, I see her. Oh, I didn't want you in the first place. You were a mistake. Oh, this, that, and the third. My wife and I, 
I used to joke around after I got my vasectomy, because yes, I got a vasectomy, because we have four goddamn children. I would say, if I have another kid after this, I'm going to nickname them Missy, and their name will be Mistake, and that is a lie like a motherfucker. Every single kid that comes out, I want to get foster kids, I want to get a, I want to adopt kids, I just want kids to have the opportunity to have the life that we didn't, because even though we had a good life, it was shadowed by the fact that, does my dad even fucking like me? So I'm not going to give that excuse, and I'm not going to let this book give that excuse. I know this book is a whole dialogue on um, generational curses and communication and not having a daddy. But fuck, you can go in the opposite direction. You can take a generational curse and turn it into a generational power going forward. My kids don't know anything other than the love of their father. And it is unconditional. How the fuck do you think they're going to act towards their kid? Ain't no wonder that I'm just like him, Jackson thought. But my boy needs something more than that. Jalil sniffled and straightened. Okay, Dad, I'm fine now. I'm not going to get all soft on you. There's nothing wrong with crying, son. Better to let it out than keep it bottled up, driving you out of your mind. Yeah, sure. Just like you cried when mom died, huh? The comment hit Jackson like a blow below the belt. He fumbled for words. Son, um, I cried over your mama. I did, but not in front of you. Why? Jalil wiped his nose. Because real men don't cry in front of people, right? Guess I just proved I'm not a man yet. I want to stay strong for you. When your mama passed, I knew I was all you had left. Couldn't afford to let you see me weak, so I had my tears in private. Maybe you didn't hide the tears from me, Dad. Maybe you hid them for you, because you can't handle anyone thinking you're weak. Jackson pressed his lips together. Hmm, might have a point there. Maybe I did it for me. But that's how I am, son. Doesn't mean I loved your mama any less. And it doesn't mean I love you any less either. Slowly, Jalil nodded. Jackson could hardly read the boy's mind, though sometimes he wished he could. But he believed he answered a question that had troubled Jalil for a long time. Well, Dad, that's cool, Jalil said. I mean, you're a grown man, almost 50, right? It'll be kind of stupid for me to expect you to change your ways. Hey, I'm almost 50. But I ain't hardly dead, Jackson said. He laughed. Jalil laughed too, and for a moment, the vibe was right between them. Easy going and good, the way it used to be before Paulette had died. Then the wind blew, pushing the stench of death in their faces, and their laughter dropped off. The gravity of their circumstances pressed on Jackson like a dead weight. It was time to get back in the gear. Where's your buddy, Poke? Jackson said. I took him inside. He's in the guest room asleep. We need to take him to the hospital, Dad. Jackson grunted. Can't take him there. Those vampires are overrunning the place. We sent the backup team to help. Jalil's eyes grew as large as dinner plates. How many of them? Well, there were close to 20 folks in quarantine. Sound like all of them are changing to those monsters. That's messed up, Jalil said. 
We got to go there to help. We can leave Poke here. He'll be fine. Till he changes, Jackson said softly. Wouldn't be no sense in dropping him off with his family. We'd only be putting them in jeopardy. He sighed. All right, let him stay here. By morning, we should have some idea what to do. What a... What about T-Bone's... What about T-Bone's body? Jalil's attention flicked to the edge of the yard, and he quickly looked away. I can't deal with that right now, Dad. I'm sorry. Come morning, we'll have a plan in place. I think we're going to have a number of cases like this on our hands, though I hate to consider it. Terrible shame. Okay. Jalil stood, swung his shotgun over his shoulder. His face had hardened with determination. Intense pride swept through Jackson. His son was a fighter, for God's sake. Suddenly motivated, Jackson rose too. But the memory of Paulette's deathbed words came to Jackson. Take care of our baby, Van. You're all he has left in the world. Raise him to be a good, strong man. Briefly, Jackson considered making Jalil stay home, away from the danger. But he rejected the idea. What could he do? Lock the boy in his room? Then what if something happened and his son was attacked again? Nowhere in the town was safe tonight. The safest place for Jalil was right by his side. He will lay down his life to keep his boy alive. All right, Jackson said. Let's go to the hospital. Cradling the woman in his arms, Franklin Bennett bared his teeth like a cornered animal. Although David sat in the idling truck, perhaps 20 feet away, he swore he could see the needle-sharp points of Franklin's fangs. In the back seat, King barked, spittle flying from his mouth and spattering the windows. I can't do it, David said, still clutching the steering wheel. He was dizzy, as though he had been spinning on a carousel for the past five minutes. I'm not ready for this. I can't do it. Calmly, Naya pried his hands off the steering wheel. She placed a Molotov cocktail, fashioned from a beer bottle, into a sweaty palm and pressed his fingers around the neck. You can, she said. She took her gun out of her purse. You have a cigarette lighter. Get it and let's go. I'll back you up. Feeling as though his limbs were attached to invisible strings manipulated by unseen hands, David got out of the SUV. Inside, King growled and clawed at the windows. Naya came around the front of the truck. Gun pointed towards the ground. Stay away from me, David, Franklin said. He was not wearing his glasses anymore. He let the woman's body fall to the ground. Hearing Franklin's voice, which sounded the same as ever, wrenched David's gut. Surely Franklin was only ill. He could not be a vampire. Vampires didn't exist. But you saw his fangs, didn't you, David? Look at the blood on his chin. The bottle in David's hand might as well have been a hundred-pound brick. Lighting the fuse and hurling the homemade bomb at Franklin seemed like an impossible undertaking. Please, don't make this any harder than it has to be, David said. I don't want to do this to you, but I have to. You don't understand, Franklin said. I want this new life. I'm healthier than I've ever been, full of a vigor that I never experienced as an ordinary man. You have no right to take this from me. 
You have no right. Cheetah Swift, Franklin broke into a run. Indecision froze David, but not Naya. She fired a shot as Franklin fled across the yard and leapt over a line of bushes with the speed and agility of a track and field athlete. The bullet knocked the vampire off balance. He fell to the ground, moaning, but he started to rise. Naya rushed forward. She fired again, plowing a shot into the creature's spine. Wailing, it dropped against the earth, but crawled forward, resolute. Naya prepared to fire another shot. Stop it, David yelled at her. That's enough. She turned on him. She was crying, but her eyes blazed with resolve. Then you finish him, damn it. David was both grateful at Naya for preventing the vampire's escape and furious at her for forcing his hand. But she was right. It was his responsibility to deal with Franklin. That was how Franklin had wanted it. His legs feeling as if they might give way underneath him, David ran closer to the vampire. Franklin, no, don't call him that. It isn't Franklin anymore. Was on all fours. Blood soaked the back of his shirt. He groaned. David's fingers dug into his pocket, closed around the plastic lighter. Sensing David's approach, the vampire looked over his shoulder. You need not harm me, David, the vampire said. Go away. Leave me in peace. I'm not a man anymore, but I have not forgotten the friendship that we shared. I give you my promise that I will never hurt you or Naya. David slowly shook his head. No. When you were a man, you made me promise that I would take your life if you ever became... Something like this. Remember? Franklin's mouth opened. A soft gasp escaping him. I remember. I charged you with that responsibility and sealed it with your promise. I remember. He sighed deeply. For a heartbreaking minute, his were not the eyes of a vampire. They were the eyes of Franklin Bennett again. The kind, intelligent man who has sacrificed his life to help David. A wave of tears threatened to overcome David, and he blinked him away, savagely. Franklin lay on the grass and rolled onto his back. Hand me the explosive, Franklin said. Once you've done that, ignite the fuse and move with haste. But do it, please, before I change my mind. David offered the bottle to him. Franklin plucked it out of his grasp and pressed it over his abdomen. The dry rag hanging from the lip of the bottle fluttered in the wind. The fuse, Franklin said. It took three attempts for David to produce a flame with the cigarette lighter. The fire tasted the rag and began to consume it hungrily. Now run away from here, son. David ran. Seconds later, the explosion came. The blast punched a hole in David's soul. He dropped to his knees. He buckled over and vomited, crap pumping out of him, leaving his throat raw, hot tears dripping from his face and plopping into the vomit he had expelled on the pavement. Then, a comforting hand rested on his shoulder. Naya. As always, Naya. Their army had arisen. 
Standing at the end of the walkway that led to the hospital entrance, Kyle watched their soldiers, the Valduay, pour out of the building. They were an odd-looking group, men and women of myriad ages and ethnicities, though most of them were black. Some of them clad in blue hospital garments, others wearing street clothing, some of them physically fit, others obese, some of them attractive, some of them ugly. But they had two traits in common, their insatiable hunger for blood and their obedience to the will of his father. Upon awakening the army, Diallo had telepathically commanded the Valdue to obey Kyle's orders. Kyle had not yet exercised his authority. He enjoyed watching these low-level vampires, these mongrels that are species, attack and feed on every human in the vicinity. They had no finesse, no finely honed hunting skills, only graceless, savage strength. The humans did not stand a chance against them. By dawn, we'll command hundreds of Valdue, his father had promised. We will suck this town dry of life, and then we'll move onward to the next. Diallo had ventured elsewhere in the town, alone, to recruit new soldiers. He had instructed Kyle to take these mutants and use them to subdue the city and multiply their numbers. Before sunrise, he and his father were reconvene in their sanctuary. Kyle had waited a lifetime for a mission such as this. His father had instilled his life with purpose. What purpose was there in living in isolated luxury, avoiding humans as though there was something to fear? It perplexed him how Mother could tolerate her dismal existence. But he would not waste time worrying about Mother anymore. Several vehicles veered into the parking lot. Humans, armed with weaponry, members of the civil defense team, fools. A casual glance confirmed that David Hunter was not among them. Neither was Nia James or Chief Jackson. Nevertheless, Kyle summoned his army. The time for battle was near. Jackson and Jalil roared across town, siren wailing. A crackling noise on a walkie-talkie, sounded like Mac, shouted that something like 20 vampires roamed outside the hospital. One of the head honchos is with them too, Mac said. Tall, dark-skinned fella, wearing black, looks young. You gotta hurry up and get here, chief. Mac's voice quavered. He sounded truly scared. Is Hunter there? Jackson asked. We lost him on the way over, Mac said. Think he stopped for something. Shit, Jackson said. He hoped that David was okay. The last thing they needed was to lose Hunter. We'll be there in a few, Mac. Hold it down. Yes, sir. The radio sputtered in the silence. I'm kind of scared, Dad, Jalil said. Holding his shotgun on his lap, he stroked the barrel as if for reassurance. What if... What if we can't win? Jackson glanced at his son. He understood the true fear to wait on Jalil's mind. But Jalil was afraid to say it. What if you die, Dad? Was the fear that Jackson realized tormented his son. Anything like that happens, you call Hunter, Jackson said. He'll know what to do. But I hardly know that guy, Dad. I mean, he seems cool, but... You can trust him. He's a good man. I talked to him earlier about backup plans, I guess you'd call him. Oh. Jalil wiped a bead of sweat from his forehead. He laughed, but it was a nervous sound. Forget this, man. 
I'm going to start thinking positive. Didn't you always used to say, if you believe it, you can achieve it? That was me. I'm going to take your advice this one time. Jalil chuckled again, and this time, Jackson laughed too. Nothing, Jackson thought, is as important as keeping up hope. Hope was like food, nourishing you, making it possible to endure what seemed unbearable. A man without any hope was practically dead inside. But sometimes, hope didn't save the day. Jackson didn't have the heart to tell his son that he believed and hoped that his wife would conquer her cancer. Didn't want to crush his boy's optimism. Just as it was important to nurture hope on your own, so was it important to allow someone to hold tight to their own hope, even when their efforts might be in vain. The hospital would be around the corner. David slumped against a tree, recovering from the incident with Franklin. While inside the Pathfinder, King bustled about impatiently. He and Naya had taken a young woman upon whom Franklin had prayed inside her house and laid her body across the living room sofa. She remained unconscious as they moved her, purple-red puncture wounds glowing on her neck. Undoubtedly, she was already mutating into a vampire. The thought sickened and angered David. How many other people in town had been bitten and were quietly undergoing the same terrible transformation? They didn't have much time before they lost everybody to Diallo and his bloodthirsty minions. We've got to go, he said. His watch read half past ten. We gotta help the team at the hospital. I hate to bring this up, but what should we do about Franklin's body? Naya said. Should we come back later? Yeah. He refused to look around to see Franklin's corpse. We'll take care of it later. As they shuffled back to the SUV, King flew into a frenzy, barking and pawing the windows. What's gotten into him? David thought. King had freaked out before they discovered Franklin feeding on the woman, too. Did the dog have a keen nose for evil? David looked around. He didn't see anything out of the ordinary. King stood in the space between the front seats, growling. David locked gazes with the canine, and it struck him, suddenly, what King was going to attempt. He had lived with the dog long enough to be able to predict its actions. Naya opened the passenger door. Don't let him out, David said. King bolted through the doorway in a gray-black streak, knocking Naya aside as he ran. King, get back here, David scrambled after the dog. Stop! The dog did not heed his call. King galloped across the yard and disappeared in the murky shadows behind the house. Come back, King, David chased him. But King was not in the backyard. A dark alley ran behind the property and David went to the edge and looked both ways. He did not see any sign of King. The dog could have run anywhere. It was a dangerous night for men and dogs alike. David's worst fear was that King would be attacked by one of those hellhounds and become a member of Diallo's murderous hordes. Naya ran up beside David. Where is he? Hell if I know. If David's hair was longer... He would have grabbed it in his fist and pulled it out in tufts. He's never run off like this. I don't know what's the matter with him. I'm so sorry, David. I shouldn't have let him get out. It's not your fault. I should have left King at home in the first place. 
Damn. He marched to the truck and got the dog leash. I know we're supposed to be helping at the hospital, but I can't leave my dog out there, he said. No telling what could happen to him. I'll go look for him, Naya said. I've lost one dog today, and I'm not losing another one if I can help it. Give me the leash. Are you nuts? I'm not letting you walk around alone out here. I'll have my piece with me. She patted the holster gun on her hip. You can cruise around the block looking for King, and I'll look for him on foot. It makes more sense, David. I can run faster than you. Former track athlete, remember? You're right, but I have a bad feeling about this. He pressed the leash into her palm. Okay, whether we find King or not, we meet back here in 15 minutes. We'll find him, I promise, she said. See you in 15. David watched her leave. She could protect herself, he reminded himself. Hell, she can handle a gun better than I can, knows how to fight, and runs like a gazelle. She'll be fine. But why did he have such an awful feeling of dread? When Jackson neared the hospital, his first thought was that a mob had crowded in front of the building. But this mob was mostly dressed in dirty patient gowns. They were the vampires. Feral-looking dogs, at least a dozen of them, joined their two-legged counterparts. The bloodsuckers gathered around the striking, unmistakable figure of Kyle. Clad in black, he might have been an ancient god who had emerged from a chasm in the earth and brought along his evil servants. I reached inside your puny brain before and shaped it as a sculptor manipulates clay. As Jackson remembered how this fiend had screwed up his mind, a spider of anxiety skittered down his back. A couple hundred yards away, at the edge of the parking lot, the citizen defense teams had used their cars to form a barricade. Five vehicles, a Dodge Ram pickup, a Ford Explorer, a Chevy, a Honda, and a Mustang were arranged bumper to bumper, serving as a makeshift wall. This is crazy, Jalil mumbled. Jackson parked the patrol car at the end of the line of vehicles. Move fast, he said to Jalil. Jackson grabbed a shotgun, and Jalil clutched his too. Stay behind the line. Hurriedly, they got out. About 15 people huddled behind the bunker. Every one of them had a firearm, and Molotov cocktails were lined up on the pavement. The team members were visibly relieved when they saw Jackson. Mac approached him, the flamethrower strapped to his back. Sure glad you're here, safe, Chief, Mac said. Those dirtbags haven't moved on us yet. They've been hanging back, like they're waiting on something. So what are we waiting for, Jackson said. Last thing we want to do is let them make the first move and put our backs against the wall. We got to take the initiative, Mac. Jalil grabbed him. They're coming, Dad. I ain't surprised, Jackson thought. I bet dollars of donuts that Kyle was waiting for me to get here. The vampire shambled across the parking lot, moving in loose formation like a demonic army. Kyle marched behind his soldiers. What do we do, Chief? Mac asked in a shaky voice. Jackson quickly summed up the situation and made a decision. This is what we're going to do, Jackson said. Mac, you and I are going to climb on the flatbed of your truck. If you don't mind, my son's going to drive. We're going to circle around this parking lot real fast and pick off those suckers. I'll hit him with my shotgun and Mac will blast him with some fire. Mac nodded. 
Jalil looked scared, but determined to do the job. Jackson said, the rest of y'all, stay behind the lines and use your guns and the bottle bombs to knock them down. Keep them back. Mac and I will do our best to squash the suckers, but we can't fight them alone. Everyone ready? Ready, Chief. In anxious voices. They didn't sound half as gung-ho as he'd hoped. They sounded as if they were on the verge of getting the hell out of there. He couldn't blame them. This was probably a suicide mission, but he had to do it. It was his duty, and forsaking duty was unthinkable. Let's go, Dad, Jalil said. They're getting closer. The vampire army was halfway across the parking lot. Mac's pickup was parked at the front of the wall of cars. Mac and Jackson hopped onto the flatbed, and Jalil scrambled behind the wheel. The truck started with a throaty roar. Go, boy! Jackson yelled and thumped the top of the pickup. Jalil poured on the gas. The Dodge peeled out across the pavement. They began to roll towards the vampires. Jackson positioned himself on the side of the truck, near the front, and Mac took the rear on the same side so they could work in tandem. This beats the hell out of Nam, Mac said. Gripping the flamethrower, he shook his head. Christ, I thought nothing could be worse than that. I hear you, Mac. Jackson held his Remington shotgun tight. His heart throbbed painfully. Thunder rumbled across the night, sounding like mountains colliding somewhere on the horizon. Cords of lightning punished the swollen sky. As they came up on the monsters, a clarity of vision overtook Jackson. He sank into what he liked to call the zone of the hunter, a state in which his eyesight was hot sharp, his muscles were pumped and loose, and his concentration was unbreakable. He raised the shotgun. Ready when you are, Mac. Let's do it, Chief. Jalil, handling the dodge with expert skill, drove directly towards the vampires, as if he was going to steamroll over them. The creatures shrieked and scattered like rodents. Jalil smoothly curved to the edge of the pack. Jackson took aim at one of the suckers, someone he knew, God help him, when the vampire had been a man, and plugged the beast in the head. The creature flopped to the ground. Mac hit the fallen vampire with a jet of fire, and the monster went up in flames like a bundle of dry sticks. Yeah! Jalil honked the horn. Heep heep! <laughs> That's my horn. Y'all got to shut the fuck up. <laughs> Jackson didn't have any desire to celebrate. He was sickened by this terrible work they had to do. This was police duty at its worst. After tonight, he might hang up his badge forever. The vampires howled, enraged. They chased after the truck. Jalil veered around the lot, keeping a good lead on him. Then they made another pass at the horde. Jackson lowered into a crouch. He squeezed off two shots. One struck a vampire in the back. The other hit another vampire in the chest. Both of the vamps crumpled. Mac torched them the instant they fell. We're kicking their asses, Jalil shouted. The vampire seemed to comprehend that attacking the truck was foolhardy. All of them, including the vampiric mutts, made a beeline for the line of cars at the corner of the parking lot, where the team members huddled. All of them except Kyle. The guy had disappeared. Where was he? Had he abandoned his group to make them fend on their own? 
Head for the team, Mac ordered Jalil. We got to back them up. Wait, son, Jackson said. Where's Kyle? Jalil slowed the truck, looking around frantically. Kyle, Mac frowned. You're right. He's gone. Damn it. No, not gone, my friends, a familiar voice said behind them. Jackson turned. Kyle stood on top of the pickup's roof. Jackson shouted, backing up so fast he almost fell out of the truck. He fired the shotgun and missed. Kyle moved like lightning. He bounced off the hood and onto the flatbed. He was too close for Mac to spit fire at him with a flamethrower without all of them being incinerated. Mac drew his machete out of the sheath on his belt. He swiped at the vampire. And he missed, too. The vampire sidestepped the blade's arc, then snatched the knife out of Mac's grasp with obscene ease. Jackson's finger sweated on the shotgun's trigger, but Mac and the vampire were so close, he feared he would plug Mac by mistake. As it turned out, it wouldn't have mattered. Kyle sliced the machete across Mac's neck, and the man fell, blood spouting from the gaping wound. Jackson's knees weakened. God in heaven, is this what it's come down to? Kyle advanced on Jackson, delight shunned in his alien eyes. Before Jackson could pull the trigger, an invisible force ripped the shotgun out of his hands. The gun spun like a baton across the parking lot. Jackson went for all he had left, the three fifty seven Magnum. Then, the unseen power took that away from him, too. Nothing left, Chief, Kyle whispered. He raised the machete. The blade glinted. If this is how I have to go, then so be it. God knows I did my best, and that was all I could do. In his peripheral vision, he spotted Jalil. The boy had gotten out of the truck with his own shotgun and trained the weapon on the vampire's back. Maybe there was still hope. Maybe. His son fired a second after Kyle plunged the blade into his chest. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Uh, you can leave a review on Podchaser. Uh, copy that and paste it in the Apple Podcast. Copy and paste that into uh, Good Pods. Um, you can also donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast, uh, patreon.com slash single simulcast, and on the Good Pods app, you can leave a tip. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly do appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast.